Well, today we come to an ending that really is not an ending. It's an ending in one sense in that we have come to the end of Matthew's gospel. Can we just take a moment as a people and give thanks to God for the witness, the inspired witness of Matthew. I've so enjoyed being in this book for the last year and a half. But in another sense, what we see here at the end of Matthew's gospel is just the beginning. Because in this last passage of Matthew, we see the beginnings of the Christian church. I think we all know that the resurrection of Jesus was never meant to be the end of the story. It's certainly important. It's certainly foundational. But it was meant to be a launching point. The foundation for our work as disciples. What we are to be about as the church until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And the final words of Matthew's gospel and what has come to be known, the Great Commission, Jesus offers us a clear understanding of what we are to be about between his two comings. This is foundational, friends. And it provides us a moment to be encouraged, to be challenged, but also to evaluate how we are doing as a people. Are we about the business that Christ has entrusted to us? Are we busying ourselves with the work that Christ has assigned? I hope our goal, our desire as a people is to be faithful to what has been entrusted to us by Jesus. And so let's take the opportunity we have this morning as a people to hear the words of Jesus and to make sure we are on the path of faithfulness so that we can be found faithful when he returns. And here's what we will see in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. As disciples of Jesus, we are to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. Have you heard that before? Sounds like a good mission statement. As disciples... We are to be about the business of making disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples, recorded in 16 to 20 of Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. How could you not? But some did doubt. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, I hope that if you are a part of Bayleaf, these words are familiar to you because they are fundamental, foundational to who we are as a people. And so what I want to do today is take some time, slow down, and work through these, these last words of Jesus, this last teaching of Jesus and its implications on our ministry here at Bayleaf. There are three elements, three parts of this commission. Jesus begins... With a claim. It's pretty astonishing, actually, the claim that he offers in 28:18. He says, All authority, not part, not some, all authority everywhere 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's important for us to recognize that this is not a new authority given to Jesus, but rather a further unveiling of his whole authority. We've seen in Matthew's gospel a restrained authority, albeit still very powerful. God had already told us that the Father had entrusted to the Son all things in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27. And we see the power of even his restrained authority throughout Matthew's gospel. He's displayed authority over nature, over the supernatural, over sickness, over death, over our very lives. But at the end of his earthly ministry, we now see the resurrected Lord declaring his authority over both heaven and earth, over the whole of the created Order. Listen, the testimony of Scripture is clear. Jesus unites and rules over all things. The resurrected Son here is now once again receiving his pre existent glory and authority. He is the one through whom God's authority is mediated. And this is just as the Bible promised. Because even through the prophet Daniel, writing on the Son of Man, we should have known this day was coming. Listen to how Daniel describes the Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. He was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Think about the unparalleled glory that Daniel is describing here and that Jesus is claiming in our text. This king, this resurrected Lord is worthy of every single nation, is worthy of the praise of all people. Every language should be declaring his unique glory. And we need to make sure that we are constantly beholding the glory of Christ church because the reality of his authority is the basis for everything we do. That's why we always make much of Jesus here at Bayleaf. It is our hope that every time you come into this room, every time we sit before the word of God, you behold more and more of our resurrected God, our resurrected Christ Jesus. Let's, let's, let's just make sure and let's ask for the Spirit's help to make sure that we are, we are beholding in, in greater ways the glory of Christ because he is the preeminent one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by him and for him. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the church because it's only through him that we have reconciliation with God. It is only through Christ that we have found peace, that we have found set rightness. Do we have this kind of view of Jesus? Because listen, if, if we're not careful, we can domesticate him. We can talk about him only in categories that are suitable to us. Hey, here's how Jesus is useful to you. Here's how Jesus is helpful to you. Here's how Jesus can be interesting to you. Oh, friends, let's not minimize the glory of Christ. He's not just useful. He's not just helpful. He is singularly worthy. 
We've got to make sure that we grasp, that we hold on to the glory of who Jesus is, the, the worthiness of Jesus to receive praise from the nations because that will drive our mission. As our authority, as our Savior and Lord, he gets to decide and define what we are to be about as his people. And wouldn't you know, in his grace, He's told us because after this claim, Jesus offers a command. And we see this command in verses 19 and 20, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here's what I'm declaring over you in this authority Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What does Jesus want us to do in between his two comings? What does he want his disciples to do? He wants us to make disciples. In the language of the New Testament, there's one command in this statement. One command, make disciples. Everything else around it is teaching us, helping us understand what it looks like to make disciples. Disciples, go and do what I did for you. Call people, help them make disciples. If you're gonna be a faithful disciple, you're gonna give your life to making disciples and here's how you will do that. You make disciples by doing three things. You go, you baptize, you teach. If, if you're gonna be faithful, to the command that I'm giving you under the authority that I claim and rightfully have, you gotta go to the nations. You need to baptize those who believe in me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you need to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. That's what it looks like to be faithful. Disciples of Jesus are called to go to the nations. We've seen throughout Matthew's gospel. And I hope that we hold tightly to this. We are the recipients of it as the people of God today. The gospel of Jesus was never meant just for one people. The work of Christ is for all people, both Jew and Gentile. What we are witnessing here is the messianic expansion of the mission for the people of God. In the Old Testament, it was, it was primarily understood that the mission was kind of centripetal. It was a drawing. It was a, a pulling in where the people of God would look set apart. They would, they would evidence for the nations what it looked like to live under the rule and reign of God, to, to be in the, the blessing of covenant with God. But you had to come to Israel and look in order to see. And if you came in and, and were partnered with Israel, maybe some of that blessing would, would carry over onto you. But that, that initial understanding of mission is expanded here. It's, it's changed the people of God are not simply, we are, but not simply meant to be a testimony to the blessing under living under God's rule and reign. We have more to do. We are called not just to be centripetal, but also centrifugal. Called to be sent out. Think of it like this. You know those merry-go-rounds that are outlawed now, the metal ones? That used to get on the side and hold on and your friend would spend you until your friend started flying off? That's what the church is supposed to look like. We gather together, we get spun up in the gospel, and then we throw each other out for the glory of Christ. It's not just come and see. It is come and see. 
It's not just come and see, it's also go and tell. We have seen this intention to go to the nations building in Matthew's gospel from the beginning. Even in the birth of Jesus, we have foreigners coming to worship him in the Magi in chapter 2. And then throughout Christ's ministry, we see him including the centurion in his mission in Matthew 8. We have the story of the Gadarene demoniacs and the the Canaanite woman that have all been, been helping us understand that Jesus has an eye to the nations. And we as his people must have an eye to the nations as well because this work is for everyone. Christ is sending out his disciples so the nations can know what God has done for them and they can join us in worship of him because he is worthy. Disciples go and then disciples baptize. We're we're faithful as disciples when we go and tell and when we baptize those who believe. We are to declare the good news of Jesus. We are to proclaim that Christ has died, he was buried, and now he's alive. And he will reign forevermore. And when people believe at the wooing of the Spirit, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Listen, we want people to come to faith in Christ. And here's how God has designed that to take place in his sovereign goodness. He has chosen to use us. Can you believe that? That God would use us in bringing him glory around the world. But according to Romans 10, we proclaim the gospel. We go out and we, we proclaim what God has done for us in Jesus. And somehow God uses that ministry of the word and the power of the spirit to open eyes, to, to have the scales of sin fall off, to open hearts to the reality of Jesus and draw people to himself, evidencing that drawing through repentance and belief in him. And when we see, when we see someone responding under the work of the Spirit to the proclamation of the gospel, we are called to baptize them in the name of the triune God. What Jesus is doing here is making baptism an essential component of discipleship and the Great Commission. Why? Why would baptizing someone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit be an essential component, an essential marker for someone in their journey to follow Christ? Well, for two reasons. Baptism is both a declaration and a confession. A declaration and a confession that is essential to every follower of Jesus. It's a declaration of the church. What we just did with Paul, what we do with everyone who's baptized here, we are saying, hey, as a church, we have met with this person. We've, we've walked with this person. We've tested the, the work of the Spirit in this person's life. And we see evidence that God is working and that they are changed. They've repented of their sins. They believed in Jesus. They're turning away from that sinful lifestyle and, and committing themselves fully to Christ. And we want to celebrate that. And it's also a confession to the church. They, the individual is saying, yes, I, I was a sinner. I was separated from a holy and righteous God, but God has shown me the most incredible grace and mercy that in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my deadness, he called out to me and now has allowed me to walk in newness of life in Christ. I'm no longer identifying with this world. I'm no longer identifying with with the people of this world. I'm identifying with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and his body, the church. That's a powerful declaration 
an, an important declaration that we want to lead people to for their sake and for the sake of the church. And then we come alongside them. Having seen the evidence of the Spirit, having had it confirmed, affirmed, and the practice of baptism, then we teach them what it means to follow Christ. That baptism is an, an initial step of obedience to say, I, I want to follow Jesus. I know this is the first thing I need to do. But all of us in this room know that's just the first step of many. And so then we come alongside them in the process of discipleship to teach them all that Christ has commanded. Disciples, disciple. Once a declaration of commitment has been made, we gotta help them walk in that commitment. Because church, our goal is not simply to make converts. Our goal is to make disciples, to teach all that Christ commanded which they now can do, which they now can walk in because Christ has achieved it for them and the power of the Spirit is at work within them. We invite those who have committed themselves to Jesus to walk close to us and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. We teach them the word and show them how the work of the word in our lives shows up in every aspect of our life. We help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a husband or a wife. We help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a a father or a mother. We help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a boss or employee, as a, a neighbor, and at the same time, a citizen of a better kingdom. With the hope and the goal of sending them out to do the same, which is the end of this process. It's a little bit more implicit But we have to recognize that the process of discipleship, the faithfulness that we are exhibiting to the Great Commission is not finished until the one being discipled begins to disciple others. So the kingdom builds, it multiplies for the glory of God. We are called to make disciples locally and globally who make other disciples. Now, if this task sounds overwhelming, And difficult, it is. But don't fear because Jesus has not finished his commission yet. He finishes it after the claim, after the command, with a message of comfort. This is at the end of verse 20 in Matthew 28. Jesus promises us that as we are going about the business of making disciples to the ends of the earth, that he will be with us. He's still Emmanuel after all. You know, the disciples have an interesting reaction when they see the post-resurrection Jesus. We see that as they come to him, they both worship, and Matthew says here, or the, the translation is doubt. Now, the, the word there is probably better translated, are hesitant. So part of them is, is worshiping. They're very engaged, but there's also a little bit of hesitancy. Hesitancy and what this may all mean for them. And my guess is for many of us in this room, that probably describes a lot of our Christian lives. There are moments where we are, we are bowing down, worshiping King Jesus as resurrected Lord, but, but as we begin to consider the cost of what it is that we're called to, there's, there's still a little bit of hesitancy in our spirit. So how does Jesus respond to the questions they have about 
what Christ is asking them to do, if, if the sacrifice will be too much, he says, don't be afraid, I will be with you. That, that my presence will be the fuel that drives the mission. I'm gonna send you a helper to remind you that I'm with you and to enable you, empower you to do all that I am commanded. And listen, the presence of that helper The presence of the Spirit of God in the people of God is what changes everything. We see this come to fruition in Acts chapter 2. These disciples, who previously were described as disciples of little faith, the disciples that abandoned Jesus in his moment of need, the disciples who in this text both worshipped Christ and hesitated, even though they have seen the fact that he has conquered the grave, Those disciples radically change when the Spirit of God falls upon them. And we see this guy, Peter, who was afraid earlier in Matthew's gospel of a servant girl, now stand boldly to proclaim the guilt of those who killed Jesus to them and the provision for them in Christ. This is what the power of God can do in the people of God if we are fully surrendered. And that's why, church, we need to be on our face, praying that the presence of God would be felt in every corner of this building, in every part of our ministry, because it's only through him and his presence that we can do anything of eternal significance. Because remember, the calling to the disciples here in Matthew 28 is the same calling for us today. The Great Commission has not changed. It is defining for us as well. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask us to resolve as a people to remain committed to the commission. We've been committed at this church, praise be to God, to the Great Commission for 140 years. I'm praying for another 140, even beyond that, until the day that Jesus returns. But we have to commit over and over and over again because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off mission. So can we, hearing the, the direct command of Jesus today, can we resolve to remain committed? As a people, let us believe the claim of Christ. Let us believe that Jesus is our Lord He is our Savior, that he is over all things, that he is alone worthy of all of humanity's praise. Again, it's so easy for us to lose sight of the otherness of Jesus. Listen, I want you to know that Jesus wants to be near to us. He he does want to be close to us. He does want us to walk in fellowship with him. But even as we walk in nearness, we cannot forget his greatness. So, Let me just remind you of another passage of Scripture to call us to think about the unique glory of Christ. This is from Revelation 5, when John is writing about the scroll and the lamb. Listen to how he describes the revelation of Jesus to him and how all the heavens respond to this revelation of who Christ is. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll to break its seals? Who's worthy to unleash God's redemptive plan upon the created order? 
And no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to be, to be able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, don't weep anymore. Behold, can we just behold this morning? Jesus in his glory, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And because of that, that declaration, that revelation between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which of the seven spirits of God sent out all into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people, God, for, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, I heard around the throne the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. They were saying with a loud voice about this lamb, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth and the sea, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, the lamb be blessing and honor and glory, might forever and ever more. And the four living creatures said, amen. Amen. Friends, there's one being in the history of the world that can unite the nations, every being on heaven and on earth in worship, and his name is Jesus. Don't ever, don't ever lose, don't ever lose sight of his glory. Don't ever lose sight of his unique authority, because if we do, if we do, we will lose the drive, the drive for why we are committed to the Great Commission. We commit our lives to him because of who he is, and we desire the nations to know him and worship him because he is worthy. Would you behold the glory of Jesus today and commit, commit to surrender your life and worship to him because of it? We're gonna do it forever. Why not start here? As a people... Let us believe the claim of Christ. Secondly, as a people, let us obey the command of Christ. He's Savior, he's Lord, he's called us to go and make disciples and we must obey, friends, because the task is not finished. The Great Commission is not finished. It's not finished locally. It's not finished globally. There's still work to do to declare to the nations the glory of Christ. And just to help you get a, a sense of, of what remains, the work that's to be done, I wanna give you just a few statistics and I want us to, to hear them prayerfully. Sometimes it's, it's easy to hear these statistics and disembody them. But as we talk about these really big numbers, really big numbers, I don't want you to lose the fact that every number represents a person, a soul with an eternity. All of us are gonna spend eternity somewhere. Every, every person that has ever existed is gonna spend eternity somewhere. And that's why we are, we are driven, 
to help them know Jesus. So with that in mind, listen to this. In Raleigh and the United States, our, our local responsibility, we have work to do. And let me just give you one example of this. In our country, almost one in four people now identify as nuns. Nuns, not the sister act kind. Nuns like N-O-N-E-S, okay? And what that means is religious nuns. That they have no religious affiliation or belief whatsoever. That number's growing. And the younger you get, the more it's growing. That should concern us. That should break our hearts to know that there are people moving into the city of Raleigh at record numbers historically, many of whom have no relationship with Christ, nor a desire to have a relationship with Christ. But God has brought them to our backyard for a reason. So the question is, will we be faithful to continue the mission of declaring Jesus? And that's only amplified, that, that drive is only amplified what's happening globally around the world. Did you know that today there are around 8 billion, with a B, people living on the earth. And that's just unbelievable. It's a staggering number, 8 billion people. Of those 8 billion people, with a B, almost 5 billion, over half, live in what we would call an unreached people group. Meaning that that, that group of people, there's less than 2% that we would say are evangelical Christian. There's limited gospel witness. That's a lot of people, friends. And then listen to this. Of that 5 billion people, those 5 billion people who live in a limited gospel access area, almost 300 million live in places where there is no gospel witness that we know of. None. 300 million people who may not know the name of Jesus. Can we agree there's work to be done? Can we agree that those 300 million people need to know about Jesus and that Jesus is worthy of their worship? That should drive us. Friends, we must go. We must go as a church. We must go in partnership with like-minded churches. We must go as individuals and we must go as families. Now, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that is going. We must go and we are going, Bayleaf Baptist Church. We have meaningful and effective ministry partners all around the globe. I'm so grateful for Pastor Aaron and Pastor Kai on their leadership here. Just this year, we've already had trips to Ethiopia and Kenya. And later this year, we'll go back to Kenya. And we have trips planned to Thailand, Canada, and the United Kingdom globally. And we've been a part of significant work locally last year. We planted Triangle Fellowship with sister churches in Morrisville under Pastor Stephen Madsen's leadership. They had a, a great Sunday last Sunday. Members from our own church left this church to go with him to help reach an underrepresented part of the Triangle. And even in the next few months, we'll be talking about our Creedmoor Road property. Many of you may not know, but we own a property right north of 540 on Creedmoor Road. And it's our desire to expand, to, to multiply the reach of our ministry as a church from this property onto that property as well to reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are all wonderful things. And we should give praise 
to the Lord for how he has used this body and this church to take the gospel to the nations, but the task is not finished. We must remain committed. We must remain committed to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And in those moments when we begin to feel hesitant, when our worship of Jesus is clouded or are held back by hesitancy, let us remember the promise of Christ. That we can rest in the fact that he is with us. That we can be faithful because he is with us. Because if God is with us, there's no limit to what he can do through us. Remember, this work, as the Bible says in Zechariah 4, verse 6, is not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord of hosts. His presence with us is what gives us confidence even in the most difficult of circumstances. Even when in our human flesh we would be hesitant. And we've have, we have countless testimonies throughout the history of the church to show us what God can do when we surrender to his presence and how he will hold us even in difficult circumstances. I think about a young man I met, I told you about in Ethiopia earlier this year, who was committed to the Great Commission, went to one of the most dangerous places in the world to share the gospel. He was beaten and still has an injury that could take his life but cannot wait to go back and tell those same people about Jesus. What drives him to do that? What gives him the confidence to go? Jesus is with him. Members of our own church, I think you know that we have missionaries sent out from this body who are doing long-term missions all around the world. And there are some who are in very dangerous places. One of our missionaries that we sent out, they had to leave their post because the country became too volatile. Another, even today, is having to be careful because there's great volatility in that country. Some of his fellow or some of their fellow missionaries have already been expelled. And they're having to watch and be careful and pray and trust because they want to stay and tell this people about what God has done for them in Christ. What gives them the confidence to stay even when it's tough, even when it's dangerous? What better place to be is there than in the center of God's will with the presence of Christ? All authority, all authority has been given to Jesus. And that claim is followed by a command for us to make disciples locally, globally, for his glory. And the comfort, the confidence we have to be able to do this is the fact that Jesus is with us. Now let's, let's draw closer to home now. What does this mean for us at Bayleaf Baptist Church? What is this great commission spoken over 2,000 years ago? How does it affect us even today? Let me just ask a couple of questions to help us as a church Make sure we're walking in faithfulness and how each of us is contributing to this larger work of disciple making. And the first question, I think it's pretty obvious. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple? For those of you who cannot respond in that way, <laughs> let me just encourage you and 
and ask you to ask for the Spirit's help today to see the glory of Christ who died for you and was raised on the third day so that you could be reconciled to the Father, freed from sin, freed from the curse of death, and open to walk in eternal and abundant life. We would love nothing more than for you to respond today to the hearing of God's word than to believing in Christ. And if that's you, if you feel the Spirit of God opening your eyes, opening your ears, opening your heart to the truth of who Jesus is, in just a minute we'll have some members and ministers up here in the front. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you if you need that. But for those of us who can say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, are you engaged in the business of disciple-making? Firstly, have you been discipled? It's a, it's a sad reality, friends, that many of our churches focus on conversion to the detriment of discipleship. And what I mean by that is that some churches think, okay, once we win them to Christ, that's the end of the, God, the job. It's not. It's instrumental. We have to be evangelizers. We have to declare the gospel. But when, they, when that person responds in repentance and belief, that's just the beginning of our work. Because we have to help them Walk as Jesus walked, to walk in the Spirit toward faithfulness so that then they can begin to disciple others. Are, have you been discipled? If you haven't, it would be our joy, be our joy to help disciple you. Maybe you've given your life to Christ many years ago, but you still have not walked with someone or a group of people to help you know how that should fully flesh out in your life at home, in your life at work, in your life at school. Come talk to us. We have so many faithful servants of God here that we could partner you with who would love to take what's been entrusted with, to them and, and give it to you as a steward of the gospel. Come talk to us. Let's pray with you. We'll help you. And then, as a result of that, church family, if you have been discipled, Will you join us in making disciples? That's our commitment. Now listen, here's what I would say. I think sometimes we are fearful of getting someone close to us and discipling them because if they get too close, they may see that maybe Jesus isn't having as much an impact on our life as he should be having. And so sometimes we don't get involved in disciple making because we don't want people to see how our following of Jesus actually plays out in our lives. So let me just ask you a quick question. If someone were to follow, remember what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. If someone were to follow you as you follow Christ, would that help them on their journey to become more like Jesus or would it hurt them? And if you can't say with full assurance, Jared, I think it would help them. Maybe you need to go back in that discipleship phase. Let us come alongside you and strengthen you for the sake of the gospel. And when you are ready, be faithful to the command of Scripture to entrust to other faithful men, women, brothers, and sisters what has been entrusted to you. And for those out there, he would say, yes, I have received. I have received so much good teaching. I have received so much quality ministry. I'm, I'm filled up, overflowing. I need a place to pour it out. Join us here.
It's gotta begin in the home. So just know that the home is the front lines of disciple-making ministry. If you have children in your home, you gotta know that you are the primary disciple-makers in that home. And that might be overwhelming for you. But let me just say, again, that's why we're here. We wanna equip fathers, we wanna equip mothers to help their children know and treasure and love Christ. Hear me, as a parent, your primary objective is not to have your children fall in love with ACC basketball. Your primary objective is not to have them fall in love with SEC football. Your primary objective is not to help them fall in love with fishing or hunting or, or any kind of activity outside of knowing Jesus. Those things aren't terrible. They're not bad. They're not primary. Your primary goal is to help your kids know and love Christ. And we as a church want to help. So if you don't know how to do that, if you're concerned about that, great news. We've got a lot of people at our church who can help you. And there'll be more ministry opportunities in that direction in the coming days, months, and year. Will you be faithful in your home to make disciples? And then, will you be faithful in the ministry of our church to help make disciples? Will you partner with us in next generation ministry to come alongside these families to help these kids know and love Christ. Listen, this morning we have a full preschool of birth to five-year-olds who need to know about Jesus. They need to know about Christ. Listen, we're not just babysitting over there. We're teaching biblical truth so that those seeds of faith can be birthed within them, stored up within them, so that at the exact right time, God can open their eyes and call them, to, call them to himself. Right now, we've got a chapel full of kids who need to know about Jesus. Would you help us? We've got students up here in the front. We had a, a fellowship hall full of them. One day, we'll have a gym full of them. We need godly men and women to come alongside and shape and mold them for a world that is increasingly opposed to their faith? How are they going to stand? How are they going to remain steadfast? How are they going to walk forward in Jesus in confidence when the enemy's throwing darts? We need your help. And not just when they graduate from high school, until they graduate into heaven. We've got a disciple our brothers and sisters, build them up in the faith so that they can then entrust others. I hope our baptistry is full, full of people who are declaring their faith in Christ. And every one of those represents an opportunity for us to come alongside them and help them know Jesus. We must give ourselves to that work. Will you join us within the walls of this church? Will you join us in the greater Raleigh area to help make Jesus known? We go once a week downtown to witness under Pastor Kyle's leadership, we're engaged in several nonprofit ministries who seek the opportunity to meet physical needs with the point of meeting a greater spiritual need. We've got places. Would you join us? Maybe you want to be involved in a church plant. Maybe you want to be involved in, in helping build up the ministry at Creedmoor Road in the coming years. Would you begin praying about that even now? And then would you help us make disciples globally? How do we do that? Well, the, the typical way we encourage the church to think about partnering in global missions is to pray, give, and go. Okay? So let's talk about prayer. Obviously, everything we're doing is a spiritual exercise. And it's, it's got to be moved by God or it won't be of eternal significance. So will we pray? 
that God would move in our church, that God would move in Raleigh, that God would move around the nations, that the Spirit through, through gospel proclamation would open eyes, hearts to the truth of what God has done for people in Jesus. And then would you go? Or give, sorry, give second. We'll do give next. Would you give? Obviously, it takes resources to be about this work. It takes resources to support these missionaries who are going long-term to serve. And here at Bailey, if you can give in two ways, you can give through our our normal budget. We give to missions out of our normal budget. And then we also give through our global mission offering. We just talked about the last couple of weeks, our, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering that's part of that. We'll talk about um, Annie Armstrong. Well, just did Annie Armstrong. Sorry, we just did Annie Armstrong. I'm getting my Baptist names mixed up. We just did Annie Armstrong. We'll do Lottie Moon at the end of the, the year. All of these things, all of these offerings come together at Bayleaf to support our, our global partners. We partner locally with the North American Mission Board to try to reach North America with the gospel. We partner globally with the International Mission Board to help reach the nations for Christ. And when you give both to the local budget and or our, our church budget and to the global mission offering, you are giving to support both of those things. And then finally, you can go. You can go in short term. You can go in long term. We're going to have a meeting in the very near future to talk about the, the remaining trips we have. Maybe the Lord's leading you to go partner for a short period of time with people who are living full time to, in, to encourage them and increase the reach of their ministry. We'd love for you to come join us to our trip to Thailand, the UK, Kenya, Canada. But maybe the Lord will use even a short-term trip to call you to long-term missions. Again, I'm so blessed to be a part of a church. We're so blessed to be a part of a church that has sent many, many families overseas for long-term assignments. Even in our church right now, we have families praying about going long-term we got to be ready to send and to support and for God to raise up more. And maybe through one of those short-term mission trips, the Lord will break your heart for a people and say, I want you to go for a longer period of time to root your life here so that they can know me because I am worthy of their worship. I have all authority in heaven and on earth So I'm calling you, make disciples, go to the nations, baptize them, teach them, and know you can do it because I'm with you. Church, will we be faithful? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to the proclaimed word. God's word always demands a response. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? If not, let the day be the day of your salvation. If you just confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Would you see the glory of Christ today and respond by following him? For those who are in Christ, are you engaged in the business of discipleship? Maybe this season is one where you need to be discipled. Have you been built up in the faith through a small group, Sunday school class, 
discipleship group, an accountable relationship. If you have, would you give praise to the Lord for those who invested in your life, who entrusted to you what had been entrusted to them? If you haven't, would you let us help you get involved in a discipleship relationship to help you know how to follow Jesus more faithfully? And would you be willing to let someone come close to follow you as you follow Christ? and our next generation ministry and our adult discipleship ministry locally, globally. Would you pray even now for our, our missionary partners around the world who are in different contexts, difficult for different reasons, would you pray that God would use our missionaries faithfully? And use us to help encourage them in their ministry. Father, we want to be found faithful. We know what's expected of us, we know what should drive us as a church. Help us be committed to your great commission. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.